Will you turn in your Bibles this morning? We're going to 1 Corinthians this morning. Still holding too much that I have to say over these past weeks on the coming judgment seat of Christ found in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to answer for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or whether they be bad. Now this morning... In turning over to 1 Corinthians, I have some things that I would like to say concerning other portions in the Word of God here. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. And I've spoken to you over these past weeks, and especially last Sunday I mentioned the, uh, that there would be good and bad Christians at the judgment seat of Christ. Otherwise, there's no explanation for Christianity. If Christianity was composed of people who were perfect, there wouldn't be any Christianity because there are no perfect people. There's only one perfect one, and that is Jesus Christ. And all of our perfections are in him. Only as God the Father looks down upon us and sees Christ in us, does he find anything that pleases him? Because Jesus said, I do always those things that please my Father. So it is only as Christ dwelling in you is doing through you. Your doing in your flesh will have many motives that are unseen. And even we ourselves can blind ourselves to our own motives. Underneath, we're thinking something. Many times, it's to our own advantage to be of a certain character. Uh, it's better for us. Uh, they're purely fleshly reasonings. So it is only as we possess Christ, and it is Christ in us who is doing the things in our lives that our lives count for God. So there are the two type Christians, the are carnal and the spiritual Christian. There are two type men in the world, if I could first put this to a prologue before I read you the scripture. There are two type men in the world. They are mentioned in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, the 14th and 15th verses. One is the natural man. The other is the spiritual man. One is the unsaved, and the other is the saved. So the whole world is divided between these two men, the natural man and the spiritual man. The natural man cannot see the things of God, for they are spiritually discerned. But the spiritual man can discern all things that are written in the Word of God. Why? Because he possesses the Holy Spirit who sheds his light upon the Word so that that which is not understandable to the natural mind becomes understandable to the spiritual mind. When we receive Christ as personal Savior, we receive his Holy Spirit. In receiving his Holy Spirit, we receive his mind. Because you cannot possess a man's spirit without possessing his mind. It's impossible. 
Therefore, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. So that when we come to the scriptures, we do not look at the scripture through carnal eyes, but the eyes of our understanding have been enlightened. So that when we look at the word of God, that which was Greek to us before, and I'm using Greek in a different sense here, that which was Greek to us before becomes gloriously light. And those of you who've been redeemed in the blood of Christ understand exactly what I mean. Uh, Mary Baker Eddy, the leader of Christian science, had no discernment of scripture at all because she was merely a natural woman. She could not understand the things of God. She wrote her book, Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures, and debunked Christ as the Savior and all the rest. Why? Because she was merely a natural woman who wrote about a spiritual book, the very book of God. So she had no discernment. Now, if you've been cleansed in the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that book becomes the essential of your life. It's the key to your life. May I say this? And may I shake you on this? If you're not reading it, if you're not studying it, if you're not living in it, you're losing out. Christianity, the Christian does never stand still. There's no plateau that you get to and just sit there. If you sit, you go down. The Christian has to be actively engaged in the study of God's Word. If we're to maintain any character of showing forth what Christ means to us, there must be feeding upon the Word of God. The Christian who is merely a Sunday Christian, and I have to say this, even of the born-again church that we talk of, of the church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Christian who merely is a Sunday morning worshiper may know Christ as their Savior, but they have no joy in the Lord. They are a sorry replica of Jesus Christ. For the whole purpose of God is to form in us, according to Paul, the very stature of Jesus Christ, according to the word of God, so that the word is applied. Be ye not hearers of the word, but doers of the word. How can you do what you don't read? I mean, that's a simple phrase. We're going to be doers of the word. And if you don't read it, how are you going to be a doer? Can't do it. Be ye hearers of the word and doers of the word. That's what God wants in our lives. And so, for the one who's been redeemed in the blood of Christ, God has given that individual his Holy Spirit so that as he looks into the word of God, that which seemed just a blank wall to him before suddenly becomes a shining radiant light and as he read it he, he mar as he reads it he marvels that suddenly he sees whereas once I was blind now I see and this is the joy of the Christian as he looks into the Word of God the natural mind cannot see the things of God those who've started false sectarian groups, of which there are so many in the world, have nothing to do with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God shines upon the radiance of this book and shines upon its essential doctrines. May I make this clear? It shines upon its essential doctrines. 
it does not shine upon any individual little gift of the Spirit of God and make it the theme of Scripture. It shines upon the essential doctrines of the Word of God. And those essential doctrines are mentioned in 1 Corinthians 15 and many other places. And they are the doctrine of the cross, the death of Christ for our sins, the resurrection, the glorious coming again of Jesus Christ. We preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The essential doctrines of our faith are the keys. And we have to be so careful that we don't suddenly take one little portion of Scripture and make it the whole body of Scripture. This would be like saying, Paul says, is all the body an eye? Or is all the body an ear? Or all the body a mouth? No, God put it all together in one. Don't you dare, he says, exalt one portion. You know that it's all one, and it gloriously will feed your soul so that your soul will be rejoicing in Jesus Christ. Now, we spoke of the judgment seat, and if you look down at that 1 Corinthians 3, down at the ninth verse, I'll begin to read, and I'll read through to the, about the 15th verse. Now, this again is dealing with the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. For we are laborers together with God. Notice that. We're not laborers by ourselves. Much labor in the church is done without Jesus Christ. Much labor is not of a spiritual character. It can be running, 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 running. Now, I realize there are jobs that must be done in the church, and it's essential to activity. But if all of a Christian's life was only involved in the fact that they were always doing things of a temporal character in the church, and yet at home were doing nothing to feeding on the Word of God and praying and being earnest in the things of God, and consider that what they're doing is going to be the standard of their reward, they would be amiss because they would have missed the great part, you see. They would have missed that which Jesus wants most from us. He wants our love and he wants it expressed and he wants it deeply expressed in everything that we do. And we can't show love to Jesus unless our prayer life is the intent and holy and blessed and unless our study of the Word is just as intense. There's a perfect balance. It's not to be all prayer life and no Word. It's not to be all Word and no prayer life. There is that perfect balance that God wants. Prayer and the Word. Prayer and the reading of the Word. Prayer and the study of the Word. And so, until that balance comes, the Christian can't go forward, you see. And here Paul speaks of us being laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. We are God's husbandry. He tends the flock, but he tends each one individually. The husbandman tends to each individual one, each individual problem that he has. Every individual. You are known to God by name. He knoweth his sheep by name. And he is the husbandman. And so he deals with your problems individually, whatever they are today. doesn't matter what they are. 
The Lord is interested in your problem. What is it? What is the burden upon your heart? What is that which, which really may crush you at the present moment? That's where the Lord wants to take care of that need that you have. He is the husbandman. And then he is also, notice it says, that God, he's, you are God's husbandry, you are God's building. This is his collective work with the fellowship right here. His collective work. First, he deals with the individual heart, you see. He has to get individuals in perfect accord before he can get the building in proper shape. You can't work on the building till you work on individuals. You can't work on the world and say there's something wrong with the world until first you work on the individuals in the world. Everybody says the world's upside down. What's wrong with the world? Well, they know if they think really, but they don't want to think. The thing that's wrong with the world is we're without Christ. The king doesn't have his throne. The only high potentate is not in that place that he's supposed to be. So this is what's wrong with the world. The world needs the king of kings and the lord of lords. And there'll be no perfection until he comes. So when we say what's wrong with the world, we're saying there's a lot wrong with the individuals in the world. And the thing that's wrong with them is they do not know Christ. They do not have a regenerate mind. They do not know, have a mind that deals with human beings in love and compassion and tenderness. At least that's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be the example to the whole world outside that in the church there is love and tenderness and compassion and a concern for every member of the body of Jesus Christ so that no member hungers, no member is without clothing, no member is suffering without us all suffering. For Paul says, if one member suffers, the whole body suffers. And if one, one soul rejoices, the whole body rejoices. So we're partakers one of another. We are God's husbandry individually. He wants to prune us. He wants to make us what he wants us to be as individual Christians, those who love him. But he wants, first of all, love from us. For the more we express love for him, the more we'll be able to express love for others. But if we can't express love for him and we never tell him how much we love him, I don't know how we'll ever tell anybody else in the world that we love them. I see these signs all over, you know. God loves you and we love you. Well, it sounds good. But I want to tell you it's more than a phrase put up on a wall in some psychedelic fashion and it's more than just sitting in a group and enjoying each other and basking in it when the world is hungry. The world is dying, and 80% of them go to, the bed, go to bed hungry at night. It's more than doing these things. I hear people say, I'm bored with life. Life has nothing to give me. Come to me, I'll tell you what to do. I'll show you the hospitals where people are dying without anybody there. I'll show you the places where you can go and minister a cold drink of water. Somebody says, I have nothing to do. With the world the way it is, you can sit and say that. There's nothing to do. I tell you, if Christians take this attitude, what will the world outside do then? 
The world outside is involved in civil strife, in all of these terrible problems that we have as a nation, the corruptness, the economic conditions, and here we are, the living body of Jesus Christ, and we can say, I'm bored! How can a Christian be bored when there's a dying world? And if you want to get rid of your boredom, and you want to get rid of the frustrations of life, you go from bed to bed in the county hospitals where there's not enough room to put them and where there aren't enough nurses to take care of them and where there aren't enough attendants to even keep them clean. And I'm not talking of India. I'm talking of right here in Nassau County or the counties in New York and places all around us where we could be used for Jesus Christ. We're God's husbandry. He wants to use us individually, and he sees Christianity, those who claim they love Christ as personal Savior, so involved with their own little world and the money they make and what they have in the bank and are we safe and are we secure? And I want to tell you why we're saying I'm safe and secure and we're looking at the things we may possess. The whole world is crumbling around us and the United States is slowly going down the drain because we're doing nothing. We're not standing for the moral code of God. We've forsaken him. There's no care. There's no tenderness. There's no compassion. We speak about Jesus and his great love for the world. And then we sit and we enjoy ourselves as though God made us to enjoy ourselves. That's a new concept of Christianity to me. As far as I read in the Scriptures, the Lord Jesus said, in this world you shall have what? Good times? Pleasure? Lots of fun? You shall have tribulation. But he says, you be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. You don't have to worry about the world. You do what I want you to do in the world. I'll settle the world situation one day. No one else will. No king, no potentate, no leader is going to settle the world problems. I'm going to settle them. And I will become, I will be king of kings and lord of lords. And I will be the judge of all the earth. It's coming. But in the meantime, what are you doing? You are God's husbandry. We are God's building. Individually, he says, I want to deal with you. I want to shake you up. That's what the disciples did in the early days. They turned the world upside down. He says, I want to shake you up. Don't you dare sit there, he says, as my own blood-bought child and say, I'm bored with life. You don't have life. You don't know what life is. I came to give you life more abundantly. What did you think I meant? That I was going to give you a lot of possessions? Is that what you thought? No. I was going to give you the kind of life that wanted to give to the world, not get that wanted to really do something for the world. That's what I wanted to give you. The more abundant life isn't what people think. A lot of people have an idea. It's the more abundant life when I get it. It's the more abundant life when you give it. And this is what God is looking to. For those people who are really his husbandry, who allow him to prune them, to deal with them, and ask God, Lord, deal with me. I am a selfish person. 
told me, me, my little world, my, my family, and I know, Lord, you've given me my family, and I have a responsibility for it. But, Lord, I'm more than responsible for my family. I'm responsible. I'm my brother's keeper. I am to be one who ministers as you ministered and walk as you walk. You ask me, walk in the Spirit. God, help us. Can I shake you with myself? God, help us to be laborers. And we can give our excuses, you know. I mean, there's, there's so many things, aren't there, that we can do that, uh, to excuse ourselves. And uh, this, is, this is trying and, and testing to us, I think, too. Uh, we should judge ourselves as to our, our dullness of spirit. We can excuse ourselves in so many ways. God is compassionate. He understands you. Listen, if you're sick and you can't do anything, God knows it. Then he can say, still pray. Lots of labors to do. If you're so sick you can't walk, you can still pray. But we'd better make sure that when we claim we're ill, it is the verdict or it is from the examination of the great physician, the Lord of glory. we better make sure that we're not excusing ourselves by saying, I'm ill and I can't do it. We better make sure that our sickness is not feigned. You know, it's well said, some people love their sickness. They just glory in it, you know. If you're really sick and you can't do anything for God, then the Lord says you can still pray. You can still open your heart in burdened prayer that God will perform miracles. And I want to tell you, the praying warriors of this world who are possibly the older people and sometimes those who've been laid aside completely physical, physically have done more than many a person with a strong body who could have been out serving Christ in every, every way. Oh, the excuses we might use. You remember in the scripture where they sent out to get them to come to the feast and they all began to give excuses. One man said, I have a wife, I can't come. Another man said, I got a business to attend to, I can't come. Each one had an excuse. What did the Lord do with the excuses? He threw them all out the window. He says, forget that bunch. And he says, go out into the highways and bring me in the poor and the downcast and the downtrodden and bring them in and fill my house. Why? Because people were giving all the same excuses that they gave in that day and they're still giving the same excuses today. We'd better make sure that if we are giving reasons for why we can't do anything for God, they are reasons that are absolute truth because remember, Jesus judges us. He judges me as a pastor whether I am doing all that I can up to my full capacity. He doesn't expect more than that. He doesn't expect less than that. And so there must be that judgment in our lives. 
as to whether we really are God's husbandry. We're God's building collectively, and he's using us in a dying world. And instead of sitting down and ever hearing a Christian say, I'm bored with life, I'm frustrated, I don't know what to do, when we read this morning, whatsoever ye do in word or in deed, do as unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you go down a little further in that Colossians 3rd chapter, it repeats it again. And it says, And whatsoever ye do, do as unto the Lord Jesus Christ, listen to this, knowing that of him you will receive the reward. Isn't that tremendous? What you do, you can know with all certainty that one day Christ at that glorious judgment seat is going to give you the reward. You'll receive it, you see. So, beloved, don't be bored with life. and Don't be frustrated. Take hold and say, listen, I have Christ dwelling in my breast. Pastor, can you get me a place in a hospital where I could go to some of the old people who haven't seen a relative for two and three years and have been lying out there in Meadowbrook and have no one to say hello to them and are dying and have been dying and no one even goes in the name of Jesus to see them. There shouldn't be any frustrated Christians. Boredom comes from inactivity. You don't know what to do. Well, there's plenty to do for Jesus Christ. Now, I recognize everybody hasn't the same capacity. Everybody hasn't the same time. All God asks is the time that you can give. And, beloved, you and I know with all our hearts now, and I say this very carefully, but you know it and I know it, if we only spent one half the time that we spend before a television set serving Jesus, we could have turned this community upside down. Six hours a day is the average watching of television. Did you know that? In the average home in the United States. Six hours, that's how long it's on. It's on usually, they say, from 5 to 11, most homes. And many homes it's on during the day all the soap operas, you know, that no wonder women get frustrated. <laughs> you watch those soap operas and you look in your poor, sad life. And you see all the excitement they're all having or something, you know. They got so many problems, you wonder how they ever got so many. And it helps you a little bit. You say, well, I'm not so bad off. Oh, beloved, listen, it's sad. It's really sad, isn't it? The time we spend doing nothing. Nothing at all. So we are God's husbandry. We are God's building. And notice, beloved, what else it has to say following that. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. Now I have to say here that this is a, this is a tremendous portion of Scripture. You can see that I am not going to get all the way down to verse 15, but... We're going to talk about some things that are very important. Let every man take heed. Now, this is a very important thing. I, 
if any of you are shutting your eyes at this time, and this can well be, I recognize, I never will forget, I've had men come, women come, who are laborers. I rejoice they come. I have had men at my prayer meetings who are coming at 75 years of age, still working, and saying to me, Pastor, even if you see my eyes closed, will you know that I wanted to get to prayer meeting? And I praise God for that. I praise God for that. But I recognize, beloved, that the devil is making sure, and he says continually, remember, he says, don't you slumber like others who have no hope. We are to keep ourselves keenly aware of the things that are spoken from God's word so that we ourselves can be stirred up in the very loins of our mind to serve Christ. This is the center of all the operation, right? If there's laziness up here, there's laziness down here, right? You can't be lazy in your mind and active in the body, except maybe in some physical sport or something or running or doing something like that, maybe. Even there you have to train. But there has to be a keenness and awareness up here of all that God is saying to us. Notice here he says, let every man take heed how he builds thereon. Paul says, now I've laid the foundation. He said, I've laid it exactly as Christ gave it to me. Other foundation, he says, can no man lay, notice that, than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. That's in the 11th verse. Now he says, I've laid the foundation. You must take heed how you build thereon. And that word build here, if I can say this in the Greek, means how you edify therein. Edification. You can't build a building unless the stones are fitly framed together. And I want to tell you that this edifying is a lot different than pulling down a building. You know, I don't know how many of you have ever watched a construction job. But I know one thing. It takes 10 times more time, at least 10, 100 times more time, probably, to put up a building than it does to knock it down. Ask Augie Windhorst. Augie has used one of these, he's one of these fellows that uses one of those large, large balls sometimes, you swing against the building, you know. Have you ever watched them do it? Now you take a 10-story building, and I tell you, it's tremendous what they can do with that big thing. I don't know how big it is, but it looks very big to me as they let that thing swing back and then, bang, let it go. And here's a building that it took months and months to build. Very careful calculations. Plumb lines, everything just perfect. One man comes along, and he can tear it to shreds like that. He says, take heed how you build thereon. Make sure that the building is a kind of a building that will stand. We're to be stones. Peter talks of us of being stones and of being put into the building, living stones, he says, made into the temple of God. And so there's to be a care in how the building is built 
and we're to realize that we're to take heed how we build on that foundation. The foundation is laid, no one can change that. It is Jesus Christ, the Savior, the same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever. And he is the foundation. Aren't you glad he doesn't change, right? Aren't you glad he doesn't change one bit? His judgments are absolute. His truth is absolute. His salvation is absolute. His love is absolute. Everything about Christ has no shades of gray. They are distinct. They are perfect. They are pure. They are holy. They are everything that man needs to bring him to a loving God and to save his soul through the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, I'm the foundation. I will never be moved underneath of the everlasting arms. I'd rather have those everlasting arms under that building than anything else. He says, now you can build thereon. He, Paul says, I am the master builder. I've laid the foundation. It's all in the word of God for you. Now you build thereon. And we must be careful how we build. It's hard to build a building of one stone who is so well made because he's studying the word of God all the time. And you've got another stone who really doesn't care too much about the scripture and says, well, I don't read it too much because it's hard to understand and they never prayed, they never really went to it, they never got a, a book in the library that might help them a little bit. And here are stones, we're living stones, we are all been saved because of the blood of Christ. I trust you're all saved. And God says that the foundation is Jesus Christ. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. You can listen to all the teachers in all the world. You can listen to all the professors and all the ecologists. You can listen to all the intellectuals down through the ages. You can listen to all of the philosophers you want to listen to. They have nothing to do with the foundation of God which standeth sure. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. And he says, now you build. And you make sure that you build properly. Take heed, he says, how you build that building that you're building to me. Make sure that each member realizes that he has a part in the building. If he sins, he causes trials without the congregation even knowing it to the whole body. His sin is like the large steel ball that swings out and swings against the building, the physical building, and knocks the bricks helter-skelter all over. Let the preacher in the pulpit make the mistake of getting him himself involved with fleshly sin with some woman and the whole building that God has been building so carefully. It's like taking the rock out down near the bottom and watching it crumble and the people of God who he's been feeding on the word of God suddenly say, ah, what has happened? And their hearts are broken. And it's like that big steel bull when that pastor sinned and it just swung against the building and crushed it. That's how we are. We're not made of the kind of divine material that is perfection yet. God has chosen that he says he has placed his Holy Spirit in an earthen vessel. He understands that. The body, that which is the indwelling place of the Holy Spirit, is not the perfect vessel for the Holy Spirit. 
one day he'll have the perfect vessel to dwell in when we're glorified. But right now, he has to dwell in a body that has indwelling sin beside him because we're still flesh and indwelling sin never leaves and the indwelling spirit is there. Therefore, Paul says, there's a continual war in our members, the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. It's going on all the time. And we must make sure that take heed how we build the building. You young people, let me say this. This church, this Franklin Avenue Baptist Church, I don't care where you go, whatever it is, it depends upon your purity, your morality, your holiness. God hath determined that men should be holy. He says, be ye holy even as I am holy. It matters not whether you're young or old. God calls us to holiness. And while I may not agree with the holiness people in that we can come to sinless perfection, I agree that we should be holy. And we should seek holiness for they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. And so, beloved, we are God's building. Take heed how you build thereon. We can build a, a leaning tower of Pisa, can't we, huh? But it just takes taking out one little stone and the whole thing will fall. Or well, we can build a building that's so strong and the mortar between the joints, the joints, as Paul says, fitly joined together, talking about the body, every member supplying to the other member what they need. That's what he's talking about down through this Corinthian epistle. He says, every member supplying to every other member the things that they need, having that perfect coordination, that strength, the mortar of the Holy Spirit binding the living stones together so that no matter if one little stone is plucked out. You know, when I had Todd home that last week, Alice and I had our grandson, you know, home with us for a week. We've learned one thing. We've learned why young people have children and older people do not. But he had his wooden blocks there with him, you know. And he would say, Grandpa, build me, build me house. So I would go, you know, about putting the blocks down. And I'd get it up just about where he'd like it, you know. And he'd go, all gone, all gone. Or he would go down to the bottom and he'd say, watch. He'd take out one little thing down the bottom. All go down, all go down. Well, beloved, we have to build a building with such strength and such mortar, the Holy Spirit, between you and between me as Christians who love Christ, that if you were to take out one little part, it wouldn't all collapse. The strength would be there. But remembering that you young man, you young woman, you mother, you father, grandmother, grandfather, you're each one in the building of God, which is the Holy Spirit's building. He's building it. A holy temple unto the Lord. And beloved, you are a very integral part of it. And I don't care whether you're phlegmatic. I don't care whether you're an introvert. I don't care whether you're an extrovert. I don't care what you are. If you're in the building of God, you're essential to it. 
and your life lives for Jesus Christ will show the strength of that building moment by moment and day by day. Oh, may God give us a sense that we are to take heed. Notice those words, underline them, say your first name there. John, Mary, Betty, Bill, whoever it is, take heed how you build thereon. For we are a building of God and He is the foundation. The foundation is stronger than Manhattan Island built on rock. Because Jesus Christ cannot be moved, Manhattan Island one day will pass away. But he's the foundation. Build carefully. May I ask you, are you a builder or an edifier of the house of God? Is your life such that you are a blessing to the house of God? Are you part of that glorious temple that God is building? And do you take heed about your life every morning and every night? Do you go to God and say, Lord, I recognize I am your son. I am a living stone in the temple of God. You've placed me in it. I want to be a strong living stone. I want to never do anything that would stumble my brother or my sister. I want to do nothing, Lord, that would be impure or unholy. I want not to engage in fornication or adultery or uncleanness or lascivious. Lord, take all the anger and the wrath and the envyings out of my life. And make me a strong stone in the living building of God. And let me be joined to my brethren by bonds that all hell cannot break. Ah. Then you've got a church. All else is tinsel. People look at the buildings, you know, and they say it's a nice strong building you got. <laughs> well, I know some pretty nice strong buildings in Manhattan that once used to have the old gospel preached in that have nothing now. And you do too, all of you. No, this building is only as strong as you are, as individuals, because this is not the church. You are the church. For Paul says the church is Christ's body, and you are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. And you are fitly joined together, every joint supplying to every other joint and bringing about the smooth operation in the temple of God because you love each other with pure hearts, fervently in the Lord. Well, that's what I want. I pray that's what you want. But don't you think I'm talking to the fellow beside you. I'm talking to past again. And if I'm talking to past again, I can assure you I'm talking to you. Are you a strong stone in the building of God? Selfishness is gone. It's not your little world, not your little life. I hope I have enough money till I die. Lord, please help me. God deliver us 
Let's be venturesome for Jesus. God needs venturesome men and women and young people. Let us be thankful. We have something the world knows nothing of. Let's begin to shout a little about it. Huh? Let us pray.